Welcome to Acid Horizon, the theory podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Nicola Tajan, Associate Professor at Kyoto University's Graduate School of Human and Environmental Studies. Nicola's work involves the research of psychiatry, psychopathology, and the history of psychology, and Lacanian analysis and a variety of other related interests. I encountered his work online, whereupon he forwarded me a paper regarding his research into the phenomenon of social isolation, familiar to the contemporary landscape of Japan, this phenomenon known as hikikomori. And what interested me about this paper was its use of the work of Foucault, as it endeavored to explain how we can use the work of Foucault to better elaborate a framework to understand the nature of social isolation as a form of thinking about abnormality in the neoliberal milieu and beyond. Nicola, Thank you for having uh, this interview with me today. Thank you to come to Kyoto University. Could you just say a little bit more about yourself and your work? I'm a, a clinician by training and uh, a psychoanalyst. So it means that I'm meeting people coming at my office to uh, uh, people who are, yes, talking about their personal issues. And that's, you know, that's what interests me most. And then the... Let's say the theory comes after, basically. So I'm, I'm first a, a clinician, a caregiver, some, someone who takes care of people. And then yeah, the teaching and the research uh, comes after. And working here at Kyoto University, I mean, for many Westerners, would seem like a very unusual uh, teaching experience. I'm, I'm curious what your experience has been like teaching in Japan. How might it differ, for example, from teaching in France or in the United States or elsewhere in the West? Well, what's very different, I think you also have an experience as a, as an, a, a, teach, a teacher in Japan That's as right. an ALT in, in other settings. Uh, so, uh, and perhaps, you know, there's also a connection to hikikomori uh, here, mm. you know, social isolation and school dropout. Yeah. So, uh, if you look at, yes, the junior high school and the high school in Japan, mm. that's you could say top down, like the, really the the teacher teaches and the, the students listen, so sometimes they, they can participate. But it's not like in Europe or in in the US where you can have a participation of students. The student can ask questions, uh, and they are how to say uh, um, incited uh, or invited to give their opinion, to think uh, freely, things like that. I'm not sure it's the case in Japan in junior high school, high school. And so when, when students arrive at a university, they, they stay in the same logic. They've been used to just uh, saying what, listening to what the teacher says. And so it, it takes some time for them to, uh, uh, to start to think uh, freely. Yeah, so it would be a, a big difference. And so the, yes, the, Participation of, of students during classes. I think that's that's an issue for any uh, teacher, foreign teacher arriving in Japan, starting to teach in Japan. So how to uh, how to make uh, Japanese students participate? So usually you would organize group discussions mm-hmm. uh, to uh, to have a conversation. And I, I think related to the topic that we're going to talk about today, as a clinician, do you experience? Uh, issues with your clients or analysands 
uh, related to challenges that they're facing as students, or do you primarily work with families? I mostly work with uh, with with foreigners. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So, for instance, ALT. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And so, which is also very interesting because I have feedbacks on the the Japanese school system, mm-hmm. both on the side of. For instance, the teachers, like foreign teachers uh, mm-hmm. working in Japan, teaching English, one type of feedback, but also uh, because I'm studying a school, school non-attendance, school dropouts among Japanese kids, I have another type of uh, knowledge uh, that I can acquire from that. And that I, I try to explain in my books. And I also make interviews with school counselors in Japan. Mm-hmm. And so they are really at the forefront of difficulties of uh, Japanese families. Perhaps before we... Uh, get into the topic of hikikomori, we can talk a little bit about the experience of being the foreigner, uh, either as a student or as a professional in Japan, li- like I was. In fact, one of the ways that I came to the, the work of psychoanalysis or the way that I developed my interest in it was living here, living abroad in Japan and experiencing a kind of social isolation and then later seeking out analysis you know, to sort of cope with these like terrifying nightmares. I I know a lot of my followers, like I've talked about this in previous episodes that I've had about these very vivid dreams that I had while living here. Maybe you could say a little bit more about that because when I was an ALT, which is an assistant language teacher, one of my roles was I played an informal counselor role. And there were a few times where I had to go to the uh, the Seishin Byoin, the, 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 the mental hospital in Japan to, to help foreigners who were briefly institutionalized and that sort of thing. Do you see that as being a problem that's endemic to students who come from foreign countries to study in Japan? Um, or is this a sort of normal problem that they deal with, a kind of sense of isolation? Yeah, I think all, I wouldn't say all, perhaps I'm in a place where I, I would meet uh, students who, uh, yes, who complain about what's happening to them after they arrive in Japan. And I was also, uh, it was during the, 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 the PhD, uh, mm-hmm. but I was a uh, postdoctoral researcher, postdoctoral researcher, so not really student attending classes at Kyoto University. I was already a researcher mm-hmm. when I arrived in Japan in uh, 2011. But, uh, you know, I also experienced the difficulty of arriving in Japan, so mm-hmm. adapting to a, uh, to the society, yeah, and up, up until today, it's true that you know human relationships in Japan are kind of cold. Mm-hmm. They are cold. They are cold for Japanese people themselves. That's that's not easy for everybody, and so it plays it plays a, a role. There are also many factors to social isolation, but it, it's that's one factor. Well, maybe we can talk a little bit about this phenomenon called hikikomori. This might not be a concept familiar to most Westerners. It refers to a kind of social isolation. But maybe we could talk about what does hikikomori mean? And maybe you could offer us a basic picture of the social situation of someone who identifies or has been identified as a hikikomori. And also, is this occurrence of the phenomenon, as it's understood in Japan, limited to Japanese society? Is this something that's spreading across the globe? Is it something that's, you know, proliferating or endemic to other cultures? Yeah, well, the the word is uh, Japanese, uh, so that's a big social phenomenon in Japan. To my knowledge, it's not the case in other parts of the world, uh, but obviously there, there are 
cases in, in France, in South Korea, in China, uh, etc. And so these are shut-ins. So people who stay indoors for more than six months, and so they avoid many uh, major social interactions. So they don't go to school, they don't go to university, they don't go to work. Uh, they don't have uh, social human relationships, mm -hmm. and so they, they stay indoors for more than six months. Uh, usually, the, you know, these are several years. We're talking about several years. And what is the basic age range of people who this uh, phenomenon is associated with? Uh, so very, uh, the vast majority are adults. So the, the mm -hmm. thing is that it, the onset is uh, during adolescence and. Uh, Young adulthood, 90% of the population are adults mm -hmm. uh, over 20. And so what you find very often is uh, uh, bullying. The vast majority of the narratives of uh, sometimes you say hikomori survivors or those who can give an account of their experience of social withdrawal, you would always find bullying in their life history, usually in junior high school. And then... Uh, kind of collapse during uh, high school. Very importantly, the school counselor system in the public school, it stops uh, at the end of junior high school. So it's uh -huh. not, uh, there are much less school counselors during high school. So, and because it's not compulsory education, it's as if the, the teachers and the parents say, okay, student wants to drop out, you can drop out. And so that's the moment where you really have, you know, during high school, the uh, the, the start of hikikomori condition. I see. Obviously, you have people who are university students, for instance, or just they graduate from high school and then they start falling into the hikikomori condition. Are there therapy modalities that have seemed to work or is there an approach that has been therapeutic? Yeah, that's the big issue huh? because it's been three decades now and uh, there's not much improvement. Mm. Uh, so, you know, there, there are some uh, videos available on, on YouTube where you have places, for instance, in the countryside, the small communities where you can do farming, for instance. But uh, here you have volunteers. It, and it, somehow it's, it's, it's good because it's not medicalized. People can reintegrate society in a sense if you, if you speak this way. Yeah? So to me, the, the NPOs, uh, so contacted by the, the parents where you have, uh, yes, non-medical staff. Sometimes people who have a, a bachelor in uh, or training in social work or clinical psychology, you have some of these people working in NPOs, but you also have uh, people who got interested in the phenomenon. And let's say this person has a, a farm, a business, and wants to, to work with... Uh, Sometimes junior high school students are welcome in this facility. So that's a, a, an interesting aspect of Japan. You, you can sometimes mix uh, minors with, with adults oh, interesting. in these NPOs, which are not, not strictly regulated. So it allows a certain kind of freedom, mm -hmm. but it also allows you know, the opposite. Uh, so perhaps it would be interesting that you forward a link to a video that showing this, because the, the person speaking is... Uh, is very correct. So you have just to, to, to be more precise, mm. there are businesses who just take the hikomori person, put him in an apartment, uh, give the food every day. That's locked. 
and they don't do anything. And so you have this kind of dirty company, so to speak. Uh, and so it's very difficult to control them uh, by state regulation because then they, call, they can go bankrupt and they reopen somewhere else. Yeah? Um, and on the other hand, you have uh, psychiatric hospitals, clinics, as you, you, you know, you went to visit one of them. Right. And, you know, it, I, I saw some, some articles in the US, like, you know, the psychiatric clinic, psychiatric hospital is like a prison. In Japan, it's perhaps worse. You know, the, so very importantly, because you, 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 you were interested in, in Foucault. Um, yes, Foucault, so it, it's a small thing, but, you know, in his book on... Uh, very early book, the first book, even before the, the history of madness, uh, he, he speaks at some point about, about Japan. Right. Uh, and he, he says something completely wrong. I wrote an article about this, but what's very important for, for the viewers to know is that institutionalization in Japan is still very strong. It's yeah. perhaps the only country in the world because there's still money to, to fund it somehow. It's declining now, but the institutionalization didn't happen. So uh, one-fifth of available psychiatric beds in the world, they are in Japan. Perhaps it, some, some psychiatrist specialists would just uh, could argue with this number. But uh, what's true is that deinstitutionalization didn't happen. So you, you have prescribers, psychiatrists are prescribers, you just meet them five minutes and you, you, you have a pill. Mm-hmm. Or you get hospitalized and we don't speak about one weekend. That's one year, two years, three years, four years. Still people there in the hospital for a decade, two decades, three decades. It doesn't happen anymore in, the, in, in France, at least in the US, in many other countries. And so just uh, since the last decade, it started what's called the transfer to the community. Uh, also because of the lack of manpower of nurses the lack of nurses next year the the, the data is like uh, uh, 30 300,000 nurses that that, that are lacking in Japan so it's you know the aging population that's the issue and you know the aging population has dementia uh, the psychiatric issues in the end are mostly uh, for the aging population here in Japan. And so what's interesting is that you have still very strong institutionalization and at the same time social isolation, the big phenomenon of social isolation. And there is a psychotherapy available, but not to the extent that you, you, you find in the US and France. And right. And it's still uh, difficult to pay to talk. <laughs> to talk is uh, a little bit difficult for the Japanese population, even when they have issues. Mm-hmm. So in the end, they find other ways to deal with their own issues. Let's talk a little bit more about the theoretical side of things. We, we brought up Foucault. And in the paper that you gave me, and I'm going to put a link to that paper in the show notes for the YouTube viewers and for those who listen to the podcast, Um, You make extensive use of Foucault's work to construct this lineage of the treatment of social abnormality from 
what you call an initial social sensitivity of normalizing forces, you know, when we think about the inception of the clinic, right? Um, And then, of course, it leads onward to an entire history of various forms of alienation of abnormal subjects in Foucault's work, ultimately through the force of what Foucault calls psychiatric power. But then you suggest that, that in the 21st century, we will see the end of psychiatry as the paradigm for the medicalization of abnormality, or we might. But perhaps before you explain your view about that, um, could you give us a brief overview of, of, of how you think Foucault charts the evolution of social exclusion of abnormal subjects in the history of madness? And then tell us about the shift that you now perceive uh, with respect to the medicalization or, or, or lack of medicalization of social isolation. So I, I was trained in psychology. So when, you, when, you're, when you're doing the bachelor's, the master's, you, mm-hmm. you read some, uh, some writings of Foucault, but you don't necessarily read uh, you know, everything. And so it was actually after I finished my, my PhD in psychopathology. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there were kind of five chapters on uh, social isolations from school non-attendance to... Uh, uh, to Hikikomori. Mm-hmm. And after that, I thought, how, how can I think about uh, Hikikomori, social isolation in Japan, in, in a wider perspective? In a, in more, yes, in the, in the history of, uh, so you can call it madness or abnormality mm-hmm. or, and unreason, it's, that's, that's a great word. Right? Yes, yeah. In, in a sense, the, the Hikikomori people are not reasonable. How is it they don't want to work? Right, right. And especially in Japan, the, the fact of not working, even, even questioning the, the very fact that uh, an individual should work, is it well accepted? I'm not sure about that. Mm-hmm. I, know, I know some Hikikomori groups, they are doing uh, sometimes demonstrations on the street, and there are more cops than... Uh, People in the demonstration. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've never heard of that. So wait, hold on a second. So people who identify as hikikomori yeah. will come out and do protests. Yes, when they are uh, a little bit better, when they are able to come out. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, so, uh, but you know, it, it's it, it's like um, addiction, for instance, uh, alcohol addiction. You 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 don't drink alcohol anymore, but. Uh, sometimes it's you know it's, you are at risk of coming back into the addiction. Right. right. So the moment they are in this state, they they find an association, for instance, uh, an NPO that helps them. And so one of them that I, that I know, um, um, they sometimes organize uh, demonstrations, and uh, so there's pictures of that. And what, what's really <laughs> impressive is that the moment that they go out saying, uh, yes, uh, we are hikikomori, and so the words they want to say, there's instantly so many cops and people wow. are not interested. It's just like, what are you doing here? Wow. And so it, it doesn't, uh, how to say, invite you, you know, as a hikikomori person to participate to society. The moment you go out, you speak, and you have all the cops and, uh, and you know, just ordinary people between two trans stations, they just you know, don't care. It, it, it's just that, you know, when, when Foucault speaks about the ship of fools, for instance, that there's a fool in your game of tarot. <laughs> right, that's uh, right. Uh, 
Uh, the fool is uh, who is the fool? It's uh, Artaud. It's Antonin Artaud. Antonin Well, I think the interesting claim that you make is that with the the oncoming of the hikikomori phenomenon, we see the end of psychiatry, or at least the diminishing of psychiatry. Maybe you could say more about that. Yeah, and actually, the people who are speaking about the end of psychiatry, for instance, that's uh, our professor Arthur Kleinman. So mm-hmm. uh, he, he doesn't speak about uh, hikikomori, but there are many uh, uh, psychiatrists uh, who are. Uh, thinking that at least clinical psychiatry is mm-hmm. collapsing. Yeah. So just that more simply said, you know, the very fact that is a prescriber mm-hmm. to a psychiatrist. So, you know, in the tradition I was raised in France, quite a psychiatrist or a clinical psychologist uh, very much interested in psychopathology, you know, there's a lot of knowledge uh, in Germany, in Great Britain, in France, in the US, and you learn all of these things to... Uh, to think, to uh, conceptualize what's happening to people who are suffering and are coming to meet you. So in the end, you, you can take it as this, as a you make hypothesis on uh, so on mental disorders, if, mm-hmm. if you are a psychiatrist, huh? or uh, the structure of the subject, if you are a psychoanalyst. Mm-hmm. Okay? Uh, so actually, I am I am I, I cannot be a Foucauldian because I, I'm. I'm I'm an analyst, right. so that's a different type of discourse. Lacan gave some formulas of the discourses, and to me, you cannot operate within psychoanalytic discourse, psychoanalytical discourse, and being a Foucauldian. That's mm. a matter of structure. That's not possible. Right. So I will use Foucault in a, perhaps it's a little bit simplistic, but that's the way I use it to think about the dynamics of power over time. And so when he talks about psychiatric power, perhaps the why I was interested in history of management and psychiatric power, that's because he, he, he didn't see the 80s, right, the, the rise of mental health and how mental health absorbs psychiatry. Psychiatry becomes something in mental health. Right. So uh, what was interesting for me is, is conceptualization of power. So mm-hmm. power is not something that belongs to someone. So I think that's very, very important. Right. No, absolutely. And yeah. Also for the including the Foucauldian that use what, what Foucault wrote today, it's, it's, it, it's very important not to, uh, I think, to use uh, lectures on psychiatric power and to apply it now. Because uh, in the end, if you think about France, for instance, the psychiatrists or psychologists working in, uh, in the hospitals, uh, they are suffering as much as their patients. They uh-huh. just can't work. It, it, it's, it's awful. 
And so when you, sometimes the, the Foucauldian approach would convey psychiatric power or something like, like they, they, they had some, some sort of power, but actually they are, they are powerless. They don't decide. The managers decide. Right, right. The, 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 the capitalists decide. And in Japan, still, you have the association of uh, the directors of psychiatric hospitals, and they are all psychiatrists, so in the sense they, are, they still have a leading position, mm-hmm. but the cost was to become the capitalist. They are not psychiatrists anymore, so psychiatry is already dead. Well, that raises an interesting question. If intellectually you're committed to Lacan and Lacanian psychoanalysis, how do you view the problem of hikikomori through the lens of Lacan? Uh, yeah, but I must say I'm not committed to Lacan. Okay. I'm not a dogmatic Lacanian, so. But I have mm. the same type of uh, atti- attitude, like I hope many of my colleagues, uh, the psychoanalysts have, is to really, when you, when you have a subject uh, coming to speak to you, uh, you're committed to uh, his uh, or her being. Mm. That's the commitment. Right. What do you think Lacan would say about the hikikomori phenomenon? He would invite Hikikomori people to his seminars. And, mm-hmm. uh, what concept in Lacan's corpus of concepts would, would help us understand the nature of that phenomenon? First, the, the thing is that the analyst has uh, something to say when, an anal- when someone asks something to, to him or her. And so the problem is that a Hikikomori person doesn't ask anything. And even these days, they are not the only ones. Also, that even if you have um, a mental health issue and you go to see a cognitive behavioral therapist or any kind of therapist, if you have a mental health issue, it's not that you are asking something, really. You have a symptom, you want the symptom right. to disappear, you want to get better in your life. But you see that the, the analyst has a completely uh, different position, a more radical position. The, the analyst even doesn't want you to get better. You know, what, mm-hmm. what an evil person it is. <laughs> right. I don't even care about yeah. the mental health of people coming next to me. You know, it's, it's not that extreme. The, you know, it's like, yeah, this is also a human being. But you need to have that kind of position as an analyst to, uh, yes, there's a very impairing symptom, something in your life. It's important perhaps that it decreases for you to live better, obviously. But there's also the issue of changing your position as a subject. But you kind of expect a change in your position is life that cannot be reduced to uh, you getting better or erasing your symptom. Mm-hmm. And so very importantly, the, in my opinion, people who want you to get better, you should avoid them at any cost. Because there's an assumption on what's good for you. How, how do people know what's good for you? Sometimes you don't even know yourself. And sometimes you enjoy suffering uh, in some circumstances. And why not? So uh, the analysis has a... That's why I always say that's what we are taught in the, in the French uh, psychoanalytical setting. It has nothing to do with psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. Nothing to do with First, you don't want the person to get better. Second, the reduction of the symptom is not enough, and you have a very specific focus on the signifier, so some elements that the person would say. I see. And so, in the, to come back to the uh, people, uh, 
first you need to have a kind of integrative approach. So because you, you, you need to do home visits, you need to contact them. So first there's something that's not really uh, psychoanalytical, except if you think about Breuer, you know, at the beginning of the treatment of hysteria, the, the pioneers of psychoanalysis were doing home visits. Uh, so it's not completely anti-psychoanalytic. But uh, yeah, you don't say uh, comfortably on your couch. You must go search for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, go search for the people, people, and and then start to speak about them. And you cannot uh, do formally a psychoanalysis. Perhaps you can apply psychoanalytic notions mm-hmm. to the phenomenon. Right. But it, it, it's a little bit top down. So you, and so I'm not sure that Lacan would have anything to say. It, it's very impure, impure. Uh, Phenomenon. Ah. So it, it, it's, that's why the Foucauldian approach might be interesting. So the, the kind yeah. of uh, references to Lacan, Foucault, and other people would perhaps help us um, explain better the, the phenomenon. Well, then this, this brings us to the, the sort of next question and, and subtopic here. You, you suggest a few times in your paper that the plight of social isolation is symptomatic of, of the coupling of biopower, Foucault's biopower, and neoliberalism insofar as the life of the hikikomori person is marked by its reduction to a mere survival. So in other words, uh, when we think about what the life of somebody living in social isolation is like, it's one of pure survival, eating, repeating, abstaining from work, abstaining from social relations. And this is symptomatic of what we see under neoliberalism with the way that people who don't experience social isolation, how they live and work sometimes. Often it's just a case of living paycheck to paycheck, trying to reskill yourself for new jobs, no retirement in sight. What do you think the connection between the hikikomori phenomenon and neoliberalism and capitalism are? So first, uh, to my knowledge, you can afford uh, being hikikomori uh, only uh, in, in industri- industrialized uh, society, uh-huh. uh, rich societies, uh, you need at least to find some food uh, somewhere to, to survive, right? right. Uh, in the end, in Japan, hikikomori people, they just go to the company, so they would just go out uh, at night. Uh, and uh, As you know, uh, when you go to a convenience store in Japan, you, you don't have to speak to anybody. You just right. grab some food, pay, even now that's a machine where you pay. So you don't have to talk to anybody. You can just go on the street, see uh, nobody, and go there, take your food, and come back. So you can live this life for, for forever if you mm. have a smaller amount of money. It would it be more difficult in many other countries compared to Japan. So Japan created the conditions right. where you can be, you can, can survive. Right. It also uh, creates the condition where it's difficult to be homeless also, there are homeless in some areas in Tokyo, in Osaka. Uh, but uh, you know, if you, you take your camera in, in Kyoto today, you go out of the university, you mm. go, sometimes you can see homeless in the Kamo River. That's right. But you can count them. Huh? Right. Yeah, one, two, three, uh, yeah. zero. Uh, it's not the US, right? So, and what I always say is that the Hikikomori are the homeless at home. And I'm, I'm sure they are really abandoned. And for cultural reasons, the way you abandon people here is very passively, is mm. in the family, in the room. Mm. Mm. They still have a roof above their head, but they're completely abandoned. And they are in poverty. So 
some cases, you have middle class families, upper class families, so they are not in poverty in this case. But there are many cases falling into poverty. Just imagine there was a housewife, uh, the father, one children, uh, the father dies, and then they, they don't have much, much money to come to, uh, to survive. They don't have much money, so they are just uh, you know, below the, the poverty line. They have a roof above their head. They can survive. I think, to me, the link between uh, uh, the motto of biopower make survive. Right. I take it also from Agamben. Mm-hmm. So Foucault would, would perhaps argue, uh, I have a simplistic approach to Foucault. <laughs> so I take it as make survive. And uh, it's connected to uh, some development of uh, capitalist society. I thought that was also an interesting point in your paper where you talk about the distinction between uh, Zoe and, and Bios, right? The separation of the, you know, the survival and living. Um, and, and what we see in the figure of the hikikomori is, is somebody who's relegated to survival. I think that brings me to what might be my last big question, which is, given that you're a psychoanalyst by training, um, it seems that in your paper that you are still committed in some sense to some sort of psychiatric intervention. I mean, given the nature of the neoliberal milieu, the capitalist landscape, how is it even possible to conduct a traditional psychiatric or psychoanalytic intervention with these kinds of folks? Is there any sort of impetus for practical action that that we can take, you know, to, to help these people who are isolated? With Lacan, what Lacan brought to the to the table or to the couch was mm-hmm. uh, erasing the training. So no didactic uh, trainings, no training. So when you, you start your own analysis, at some point there's an end and you're not sure if, you're, if it will produce an analyst. Mm-hmm. You know. So it produces an analyst or not, it can produce the university professor, it can produce an artist, it can teacher, again, you can produce just someone uh, who is more comfortable in his life, comfortable. Life is more bearable for, for the person. The person is more bearable for others too, because sometimes your, your symptoms, uh, obsessive compulsive symptoms can be very uh, annoying for other people. Right. It also impacts you. So that, that type of thing, you, you can change them. So, uh, yes, you, you you're not an analyst by training. Your analysis produces an analyst or, or not. And you, you know, that's why there's no certificate. Mm-hmm. And if even there's a, if there's a certificate of um, psychoanalytic psychotherapist, it proves that it's not a psychoanalyst. So there's no certificate of psychoanalyst. Mm-hmm. It's a, psychoanalyst, it's a, a function that is encountered by an analyzer. So... Uh, yes, I think that that's a very important distinction and very, very difficult to explain, uh, you know, because the analyst is not a mental health uh, professional, so to speak. I see. I, I was president of mental health professional organization, but, you know, it's, it's not a mental health professional. That's something different. I see. And different from a psychotherapist. Um so, uh, yes, yeah, <laughs> it was a comment on just a, a small thing you said. But it seems important to answering the, the other question, which yeah. is like, what is to be done? What is to be done? Yeah, for, it, it's always, 
I, I cannot help enhancing the, 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 the difficulties, so I have so I have not solved the issue yet. So, for instance, you have uh, you know you have two important people in Japan who are treating Hikikomori uh, people. So there's a one psychiatrist, Professor Kato in Kyushu University, and there's another psychiatrist. Uh, uh, Professor Saito, Saito Tamaki, the one who wrote the book, uh, the first book on Hikikomori in 1998. So they two have their own uh, clinic, but the problem is that you know, it's, not, it's not enough <laughs> for the whole Japan. Right. So uh, it's perhaps interesting to have a kind of interview with them on what are they doing. Uh, um, and also, there are these psychiatrists. Then there are ordinary psychiatric clinics where you have prescriptions. So in the end, the Hikikomori person stays at home with the parents and comes out once a month to have the pills, mm-hmm. to antidepressants, antipsychotics, whatever. And then you have NPOs, but they help uh, only a minority of people, and it has a cost. That's why, one of the reasons why the, you know, the situation didn't change much in three decades for Hikikomori people. And so when it comes to uh, psychoanalysis, I I still have uh, people contacting me, for instance, the the sister of a Hikikomori person. And so how how do I do to help the the person? I will listen to the the sister, we talk together. Is there a way that we can contact your brother? Uh, Yeah, very difficult. So can we start with... uh, his father or his mother, the mother, that's impossible. So perhaps I can start with the father, I can mm-hmm. talk, so to him. Okay. I will talk with him about it. Okay, and so obviously the, the father will not come to visit me, so I will have to come to visit him. Right. And is it possible to go at, at his place? No, it's not possible because there's the mother and the Hikikomori person. Mm-hmm. So you have to go very slowly and say, how can I connect with the father? Or perhaps, he, does he have a, a hobby? Yeah. So uh, he's interested in uh, Japanese uh, temples or castles. Or, okay, so we'll have a walk together. He will make me visit uh, uh, the castle and spend the capture, and we can start talking about the sun. Even doing this, you know, when you do all these efforts, it's still very difficult to reach, for instance, one of the two parents. Because after two decades, the situation is so crystallized, so even more than rusty, <laughs> it's, it, moved, it doesn't move and, it, it's very, and it's, at some point the parents are 70 mm-hmm. and some, somehow they gave up. Ah. So they are with a, a Hikikomori person in his 40s getting 50. To me, still many things can be done, but you have a person who stays for two decades in social isolation. So sometimes, even if at the beginning you really have a, a light uh, not severe mental disorder or started to be depressed but after two decades uh, if you don't do anything then anybody gets worse after two decades in social isolation. There's a lot of barriers to uh, both psychotherapy and psychoanalysis uh, for Hikikomori people but that's not a reason why, uh, why we, we should not try because the way they are abandoned, you know, ethically speaking, you cannot vet this type of abandonment. So somehow it's important to protest and to say no. We won't, we won't let you live the, 
that's fine. But if 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 you if you want, that's fine. But at least we will try to find together other solution, solutions in your life if that's fine. And so unfortunately, this can be this can have effects if you start early. So if you start with high high school students uh, or uh, young adults, you have more changes chances to uh, change the situation. Mm. So to me, the the, the hope uh, would be would be here, but that's that, that's a lot of investment. Also, uh, you, know, you know, before talking about psychoanalysis, the, the, the very fact of just someone spending three hours, for instance, to make a home visit of one hour, mm. because in the end, we are here. If we are called by someone to do a home visit, uh, you know, it will take us one hour to go there. We stay one hour and we take one hour to go back. So think about the, the money, the, 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 the fee for a session. In three hours, you, you can meet uh, six patients. Right. You would meet just one. Would mm-hmm. you make the patient pay you know, the, the hourly rate for a session? Instance, when you want between one hundred to hundred dollars, you will make the person pay uh, how many three hundred, six hundred dollars right. for only one home visit. Right. So if there's no uh, strong welfare state supporting this, you know, whatever the approach, it can't be done, and that's why nothing improved until now. I see. In the case, you need much more uh, money from the state. To solve the issue, and mm-hmm. so if the if the Japanese government didn't do it, really, the question is that perhaps there's a benefit to it, or they don't really want to change the situation. I see. Same thing for you know the, the gender men women issues in Japan, mm-hmm. perhaps or declining birth rate. Perhaps they don't want to change anything. There's a benefit to uh, uh, to this, and just uh, there's a superficial discourse on all the. Aging society, men-women inequality. Let's let's have more uh, women in leadership, one uh, percent every year. You know, it's the case for so many. Times. Right. If it doesn't change. There might be some reason. I see. Well, Nicola, it was really great talking with you. I appreciate you taking your time out of your busy day here uh, to have this conversation with me and introducing the phenomenon of hikikomori to the many listeners of our podcast. So thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. I'd like to speak uh, longer, but that, that, that's so bad. You know, usually the, the analysts don't speak much, but, you know, in this case, I, I thought there much, much to be said. And so I sure. hope you viewers can... Can have a look at uh, you know my book is open access so uh, excellent uh, def- definitely uh, have a look uh, and also um, I hope I, I also give another impression of perhaps uh, Lacanian psychoanalysis sure yeah on the Delizian channel Lacan often doesn't play very well but I think yeah. you are an exception yeah, I hope I'm not because I know I know many many colleagues and mm. so the the Lacanian uh, the Lacanians, that's not only dogmatic people, uh, let's say, transphobic mm. people, etc. Yeah. That's not, that's perhaps the one where I'm most visible. Mm. Yeah. But it's uh, on the ground, that's not okay. Well, great. Well, thank you again, Nicholas. You're welcome.